This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. Jessica here. This week, I talk with Kaylee Humphreys, a bobsledding legend. She won the gold medal in the two-woman bobsled for Canada at the 2010 and the 2014 Olympics. Prior to the 2018-19 season, Humphreys came forward about the harassment she faced from the governing body of professional Canadian bobsledding, and specifically her coach, Todd Hayes. She filed a lawsuit to be released from Canada's national team last September and has now joined Team USA. Recently, at the World Championships in Germany, in representing the U.S., she won both the one-woman, known as the monobob, and the two-woman bobsledding crowns. She will be competing in the Olympics with the U.S. team for the first time in 2022. That's next year. But let me, let her, tell you who she is. My name is Kaylee Humphreys. I am a three-time Olympic medalist, five-time world champion in the sport of women's bobsled. Okay, so I wanted to start with is it bobsledding or bobslaying? So it depends on the context. The actual sled is called a bobsled, but okay. the official sport term is called bobsleigh. I participate in bobsleigh. So all my notes here in front of me that say bobsledding should be bobslaying? Uh, <laughs> okay. It doesn't okay. really matter. <laughs> We're good. Do whatever. As long as you're referencing the sport. Sounds good. I've also found okay. in America, everything is just bobsled, bobsledding. Um, yeah. But in Europe, everything's bobsleigh. So doesn't matter. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. It's fine. I was reading a piece by my co-host, Shreen Ahmed. She wrote about you for The Guardian a couple of years ago, and it was all bobsleigh. And I was like, oh, no. I don't know. No. I don't know. The We're term. not super picky with <laughs> so it. I got all like nervous about it. It's all good either way. <laughs> okay. So how did you get into the sport of bobsleighing? So I got into it uh, where I grew up in Canada, in Calgary, was we had the bobsled track, which was the track from the 88 Olympics, ah, of the course. Jamaican bobsled cool runnings track. Oh, nice. Um, so it kind of was in my backyard, um, not literally, but hometown. So I knew of the sport. I'd always wanted to go to the Olympics since I was a little kid, and I grew up skiing, ski racing in the mountains, and I realized at some point it just wasn't going to happen, and that sport wasn't for me. I was never going to go to the games, and I've always been really strong for a female. I've had really, I've always had really big legs, and so I thought, well, what, you know, obviously, figure skating is not going to be my passion. Um, <laughs> it just body type's not going to suit it. So what, what could I do? And training, seeing the bobsled track, understanding you know, a bit about the sport. Those are strong, very powerful females that are very focused, very driven as are, you know, tons of other sports, but that really suited and everything that I had seen suited my personality, my body type. I thought maybe I could be good. So I just went online, looked up like a talent ID camp and 
you know, had the courage to go and try out. And then three years later, I made the 2006 Olympic team and everything's just kind of fallen in place since then. So, wow. So what do you think makes you so good at this? Is it just that you have big legs? Like, what is it that makes you, I mean, you are a phenomenal bobslayer. Thanks. Um, I think there's a couple different aspects. I actually think a lot of my ski racing background and a lot of the sports that I did as a kid growing up, because I did all different types of sports that really has helped me Hmm. be a better athlete as a whole. Um, The skills that I developed ski racing. So having to look farther ahead, the speed portion of it, the feel of, you know, your feet underneath you, although I'm not on my feet in bobsled, I have to know and understand the feel, you know, of the sled on the ice. Um, there's a visual component, a feeling component, things come at you so fast, having to make quick decisions and look far ahead. And so my track and field days, my one year in high school running track and field, you know, that transition to a lot of the speed that I've got now, and I've had to work super hard at it. So it hasn't just come overnight, but a lot of the skills I had from doing all different types of sports as a kid growing up, I think has definitely helped. It gave me a lot of, you know, invisible tools in my tool belt mm-hmm. that I get to that I get to pull from and you know I think there's a lot of things that go into it some of its skills that I've developed from sports some of it is just who I am as a person and the sport fits my personality and my lifestyle allows me to be really intense it allows me to take my energy and focus which is what I've always loved about sport in general I think that's why I've always felt comfortable in myself I get to express myself by being an athlete that's where, you know, sport in general has always been my niche. It's where I felt safe. It's where I've had fun. It's where I can feel complete as a person. And so um, bobsled is just an extension of that. And I think the sport itself and what it requires allows me to, to challenge myself, to push my limits. And it allows me to, um, yeah, just to be a strong, fierce female athlete. Yeah, which you are. I mean, uh, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but women currently compete in the two-person bobsled, and then there's a new event called the monobob, which is like the most adorable name for a sporting <laughs> event. Tell me what that is, and is that just a new event for women, or are men doing the monobob? Have they been doing it, or are they doing it also? It is just an event for women. Okay. Uh, I hope one day the men get to do the monobob event, um, and I hope women get to do the four-man event. So. When I started in the sport, 2003, men competed in two events. So they had the two-man event, two people, and then the four-man event with four people in it. Women have only ever had one event. We've only ever been able to participate in the two-man event. I always thought that was really wrong. I never understood why. I asked a lot of questions to a lot of people (laughs) on that. I bet Um, they didn't have good answers. (laughs) <laughs> Not ones that satisfied okay. me at all. Um, women aren't strong enough. Women aren't fast enough. Women aren't skilled enough at driving sleds. You don't have enough experience. Um, you know, you don't have the numbers, just the stuff, the list that goes on and on with that. And I'm like, this is, this. it doesn't make sense. And it, it didn't seem fair to me. You know, men get to challenge themselves. They get to increase participation. They get to win, you know, double the amount of medals every single week, including at world championships and at the Olympic games. And women have one shot. And I'm like, this in the same sport, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. And I don't believe all those rules. I feel like I'm skilled enough. I think I'm strong enough and I'm fast enough. And I want the opportunity to push my limits, to be better. I want to challenge myself and grow as an athlete. I want to win more medals for my country. And so um, in 2015, our international federation 
allowed women to compete in the format event. Mm. So for a year, I took a male crew with myself, competed against the men with a men's crew. The following year, I took an all-female crew and we competed against the guys in the event to show, you know, women want to do it. We're able to do it. We can participate in this event. We're badass and fierce enough to do it. Um, and then the following year, they introduced right after the 2018 Olympics, they introduced the notion of this new event called Monobob. Um, it's supposed to help bring a lot of other women from other countries that don't necessarily have females competing in the two-man event and allow more access to the sport. Because it's a solo. So you just need yourself in a sled. It is a solo. Yeah. So I have to push the sled by myself, then jump in and then drive down. But the hard part about it is you can't do it by yourself. I need a teammate at the top to help me. This sled's extremely heavy still. And I need a teammate at the bottom to help me pull the sled off, off the bobsled track. Um, so we really do require it as a team effort, hugely from coaches to sled technicians to, you know, my other, my two man teammates were my coaches. They're helping me with push technique, all the brakemen that have spent years learning how to push from the back. And now that's my job. They've kind mm -hmm. of had to really step up and coach me and do a bit more. Um, they're helping with the equipment portion and just overall helping with monobob. So it definitely, it's a one person event can't be done alone though. Um, but it did get added. I want to say in 2019, it got added to the Olympics, which is huge. So now women have equal medal opportunity in our sport. We've got two chances to win two medals and it is a women's only event for right now. But like I said, I hope one day that the men are going to be able to, to utilize that we'll be able to do four men and we'll have three events for all the athletes, no matter what gender, that's my goal. I don't know if I'll see that in my lifetime of competing, <laughs> but being able to fight for something more equality, you know, in medal opportunities, and then get to participate in an event that I fought so hard for was huge, let alone be able to win was, um, you know, a culmination of kind of everything coming full circle, but it's, it's a super fun event. It is really cool. And I'm really happy and honored and proud to be able to um, No, I fought for something, but that women are one step closer towards equality in our sport. Yeah. And you're recently back from Germany where you did the world bobsled championships and you are, are you the very first monobob champion? I am the very first monobob world champion. Yes. This year was the very first year we had world championships for monobob. But you're also the champion in the two person event as well. Yes. Correct. Yes. And your partner is Lolo Jones, who is a former American Olympic hurdler. And I read that she had ended her bobsledding career and then you contacted her. How did that partnership come about? Uh, that is correct. Yeah. Um, I've always known of Lolo. I met Lolo going into the 2014 Olympics when she was Team USA. I was Team Canada. I competed with a competitor of hers in hurdles. Felicia George was my teammate in 2018 mm. and she did hurdles at the Olympics against Lolo. And huh. so kind of that whole mix. We knew each other, had friends in common, had, you know, a bunch of stuff going on together. Um, but I always admired her fierceness, her intensity, her focus. Um, you know, she's a badass athlete herself and she's won, you know, a lot in track and fields. And I did know that, you know, she was focusing on trying to go to Tokyo and get back into the hurdles and the Olympics. And then when Tokyo got postponed, I thought this is an opportunity. I'll reach out see where she's at, see if she'd even consider coming back to bobsled. 
Um, and thankfully for me, she said, yes, <laughs> she would consider it. And, uh, now you're world champions. Now we're world champions <laughs> out of the harshness that COVID kind of postponed, you know, their Olympics, the summer Olympics, which I know is, is extremely difficult as an athlete to have to deal with. Um, I mostly just wanted to provide an opportunity for myself and for her. And, you know, I was grateful that she was willing to, to trust me, to trust our team and it paid off. So it was a good choice for, for both of us. Absolutely. So Beijing 2022 is actually right around the corner. We're less than a year out. I was wondering, how are you preparing for it during quarantine? Like, how are you getting ready physically? But then also I'm wondering about the mental side of this. Like there's, it's not clear whether or not it's going to be postponed and sort of how you get ready when everything's up in the air like this. Yeah. Um, we kind of had a trial run this year, this year, not knowing if we were going to be able to compete or not, you know, when last summer being right when COVID hit at the harshest time, you know, everything shut down in March and was shut down for a long time. Um, I learned a lot. Did I do it perfectly? No. Did I prepare for this year the best? No, um, not (laughs) ideal, but the game changed and we had to adapt. I had to pivot as an athlete. Um, I think for a lot of athletes, it's, it's hard to do, especially when you have for years, four, eight, 12 years, you have this perfect plan in your mind. You spend a long time figuring out what, how much sleep you need, how much rest you need on what days you're training, where you're training, your training partners, what equipment you've got, you show up at the track, you know, you have your schedules, um, and COVID changed all of that for everybody. Do you have races? Do you not days off? getting COVID tests once every four days, what happens? Can you travel going over to Europe? Is that even possible? So there were so many questions. Um, We really had to learn how to roll with the punches. We really had to adapt to an ever-changing world and how it was going to look. And so we learned a lot this year, myself and the team. Um, And so that's going to help us a lot going into next year, still knowing that next year will change a lot too. I'm, you know, smart enough to know, COVID is ever changing this world. And I don't think it'll ever go back to the way it was, but I'm hopeful that it goes back a little bit (laughs) at the same (laughs) point. Yeah, it'll be what it is. And so we're really having to adapt and change. Um, I started setting up a home garage gym. So that'll help a lot. Just understanding that if, you know, gym shut down, if things aren't open facilities, I still have access to be able to weight train in the summer. I can sprint, you know, up and down my street. I've got a little push cart that my husband made for me that I can push, you know, on wheels up and down right outside our house. And so I've got access to everything that I could possibly need. Um, And so I think that is, it, it feels nice to know that, you know, I can still get the very basics of what I have to do to be able to perform if and when Beijing happens on time. I have no doubt it's going to, and I'm going to go forth with the mindset that it's happening. Like nothing's changing. I have to adapt to the changing world and find new ways of getting things that I want and and things that I need in order to continue to be the best. But at the same point, you know, if I show up and the Olympics happen, someone's winning medals. So I'm going to prepare and plan for that to be me. And if I've done that and at the last minute it doesn't happen, well, Uh, you know, I did the best that I could, it's going to be out of my control. But the worst case scenario is going to be if it happens, and I didn't think it was going to and I didn't prepare properly. So I'd rather put in more work, I'd rather do much more and plan and prepare 100% as if nothing's going to change. And just adapt my, you know, training environment around that. And then, you know, the rest is up to a lot of other 
other people that uh, I don't have any control over. So right now I'm just staying focused on it happening and being the best athlete that I can be so that, you know, I can hopefully try and win some medals at, at the games. I have to chuckle a little bit at you saying you didn't do it perfectly and wondering what your competitors think when they hear that after your, <laughs> after your sweep. <laughs> of course. At the same point though, it's, I mean, I'm sure for them, it's, it's the same thing too. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's always easier to look back and go, Oh, what if I would have done this or this, or, you know, our world cup season, I didn't win every race going into world champs. It, it literally was a learning process right up until world championships. And so some of those races, I know there was, I learned a lot throughout that process and that's what made world championships possible. And that is a big part as to why I won, but it was a battle to even get those four races until worlds. Um, and so I adapt quickly. I've learned a lot throughout my sporting career and myself physically and mentally. Um, and so I'm able to, to do that at the same point, I've got a great team and a great support system that allow me to be able to just focus on being an athlete, but I know every athlete, you know, I don't think a single person has gone through this year, athlete or no athlete. There's not a single person. I don't know that hasn't gone. What in the heck is going on now? And like, what am I supposed to do? How do I adjust? How do I pivot? This is, you know, these are real life challenges and changes. Um, and I don't think there's a single person that said I dealt with COVID perfectly. No, you know, everything's <laughs> gone off. There's nobody. Right. I would like to tell you that I did, but I know that I didn't. My husband can probably say the same thing. <laughs> and there's, yeah, I got super stressed out. You know, there were days I was not motivated at all. Didn't train. I know physical performance dropped off a bit just in me learning how to like, you know, change to my environment. I'm used to high performance facility. I'm used to training camps. I'm used to therapy all the time and proper nutrition. And then you go to like, you don't have it a full-time job. We're we living in California. Things are expensive. Groceries aren't the same. I'm not getting therapy to the same extent. Gyms are shut down. I'm training on a street. Like it just, it drastically changes. And so, um, and things worked out, but it doesn't mean that I can't do them better, you know, moving forward. And that will only increase my chances of having the ultimate success at the games. So I'm confident in that. Um, I know it's possible but I know I'm still going to have to work super hard and it's not fair for anybody around the world at all. So it's literally just going to be who can do the best job in the current climate. Life is too short to sleep between anything less than really nice sheets. But maybe you looked at some retailers and calculated the years of interest you'd pay on just one set or didn't like the post or it didn't apply to you. But trust me, go check out Brooklinen. You know what? I'm so glad you brought this up, Shereen, because I was thinking the other day, one of the hidden costs of adulthood is sheets. Like, you know, garbage cans, rugs, sheets. Like, why do they all sneakily cost so much if you want them to be of quality? And I haven't always been particular about sheets, but now... I'm like embracing adulthood in a way. I've stayed in a lot of hotels and I've decided that like maybe I am a little bit of a sheet snob, but I was so happy to find Brooklyn in, which unlike a lot of other manufacturers that really the price is just, you know, I'm like, okay, I, I want good sheets, but I don't want them that bad. And then Brooklyn in, which was started by Rich and Vicky, uh, you know, they, they had the same issue where they tried to find home essentials that weren't a million dollars. And when they couldn't, they founded their own company. And one of the things that set Brooklyn in apart is that they're the first direct to consumer bedding company. 
So they work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available to you, to me, to everybody without the luxury level markups. And Amira, you're not a snob. You're a connoisseur of fine things, which you deserve. They have a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, materials to fill everyone's needs and tastes. Whatever the decor plan is, whatever you want, you can find it at Brooklinen. Absolutely. Like, so I will tell you, I got my Brooklinen sheets and I spent a ridiculously long time. I called Jessica and I was like, okay, so do I get the luxe bedding with this pattern? So I ended up getting um a graphite duvet cover and then the sheets itself are like a graphite and um like smoky stripe so the contrast is still there and then I got like some navy pillowcase so like that's my pop and I got really into it I'm very excited I ended up going with the graphite grid because I have like a dark gray, almost purplish tone in my room. And I find that those colors, the other thing I noticed that the color swaths that they have are actually very calming. And I really need that in my life. So I'm excited about this. Listen, I think everybody should be excited about this. They have over 50,000 five stars reviews and counting. And if you don't love their product, they have a 365 day money back guarantee. Plus, there's so much more than sheets. They have comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear. So please go to brooklinen.com, use the promo BURN to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter the promo code BURN to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. Brooklinen.com and use the promo code BURN at checkout. Flamethrowers. May all your ups and downs only be between the sheets. So I want to shift gears a little bit. So you spent most of your career with Team Canada, which was both fruitful for you and that you won two Olympic gold medals, but it was also fraught in that, as you've said, you were verbally and mentally abused by the team's head coach. You petitioned to be released from Team Canada, which was eventually granted, and you actually now compete for Team USA. Looking back, in what ways was your athletic performance affected by the abuse that you suffered? Uh, A lot of the environment that I felt very unsafe in and the abuse that I felt I suffered, um, it ended up being manifested. I was clinically diagnosed with depression, uh, but rashes, hives all over, headaches, loss of vision. I wasn't sleeping, lack of motivation to even leave the house for days on end. Things that I'm not used to having or seeing just there was a lot of health issues that were going on. Um, and I knew something wasn't right mentally and physically. I knew that, you know, there were, there was a major issue. And when I brought it forward, you know, it was kind of, well, you're on your own. So it took time. I enlisted the help of a lot of professionals, uh, some sports psychologists, a lot of doctors did a lot of scans to try and figure out what and how I was feeling the way that I was feeling. Um, And inevitably, I felt unsafe in my environment and nothing was going to change moving forward, which is why I asked to be released. And the team now that I'm a part of, Team USA, is awesome. I am, you know, as hard as that transition was, and it was, it it didn't come lightly. It wasn't something I just woke up and said, hey, this is great. It was an entire two-year process. It was something that, you know, my husband can attest, took time, money, energy, effort, completely wiped us out. Um, and we've had to start again. And so 
looking back, you know, life so unpredictable. Um, but I couldn't live with myself. I couldn't stay, nor did I feel safe in the environment that I was in. Um, and one that I once, you know, had success in. And so it doesn't change my past, but I continue to look and push forward. I think being an athlete has taught me, you know, you can't dwell on things that have happened. I've, I've learned from it. Um, I wasn't going to continue an environment I didn't feel safe in. And I had an option and I'm lucky that Team USA accepted me and I had to work hard for that too. I wasn't just granted a position. I had to earn my spot like any other, you know, athlete from any other scenario, bought a bobsled, made the team. Um, and it's been a, a continual process, but the coaching staff, I feel so valued and respected and appreciated. Now I, I feel safe to communicate and be in my environment. Um, and I'm free to be who I am and to express my, my feelings and what I think. And throughout that, I hope to grow the U.S. program now and, you know, end my career. It'll end in the U.S. You know, I don't know when. Um, hopefully not for a minute, but, you know, uh, I'll be able to, to end my career and, and move forward in an environment that I feel is productive and, and safe and healthy for me to be in mentally and physically. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand the physical part of that kind of abuse. So even if the abuse itself isn't physical, that it can just really wear and tear on on your body as much as on your mind. And it manifests in other ways and things that, you know, like continual headaches daily. And you're like, what is happening? I'm not used to this. And it's not just migraines. You know, you can take a bottle of Advil and it's not going away. And stress manifests in, in physical aspects too. Um I wasn't used to that. That was a learning process for me to fully understand and to fully understand the claims that I made and what they mean as well. I don't take them lightly. It's not something I just, you know, Hey, this is what I think. Um, there was a research process to it. There was working with specialists in that field, um, working with sports psychologists. It was taking, you know, a lot of written tests, talking to a lot of doctors to understand exactly what was manifesting and why and where it came from and what I was going to do to stop it, prevent it. Um, medications, future plans, stuff that I still am dealing with and, and going through. Um, and so it's not just mental, for sure. Um, there is a physical component. And it was the physical component that mm. made me realize there was something wrong mentally the physical side was easier to identify for me, especially as an athlete. I'm very in tune with my body. And, you know, if something doesn't feel right um, and I've spent an entire career, you know, 18 years understanding how to be bigger, better, faster, stronger. I know what I feel, why I feel, how I feel the way that I do. So when the physical started to happen, I was like, oh, this is, this is really bad now. Uh, and I need some help. And this isn't just something that, you know, I'm sad one day over or something that isn't just right for a moment. This is a year long process of what I felt was, you know, abuse and harassment. And it, it took a toll for sure, but I'm coming out on the other side, which is awesome. And I think my success on team USA proves that, you know, nothing's ever final. Um, and that at the end of the day, you know, we should all feel empowered to be safe and to feel confident in the environments that we're in. And we all have the power to, to choose that. And for me, it was walking away from a career that I had built up, um, not knowing what the future was going to hold, but now looking towards building up a, a new career in a country that I am so proud to represent. 
what were some of the reactions? I was wondering about like what kind of things you heard um, after you came forward. Oh, everything. The amount of names that got called. And still, if you Google my name, it'll be, you know, hero or traitor. The I still get probably every day or every second day, I'll get a bunch of people online on social media that'll call me a traitor, backstabber. Um, I guess Canadians? Say oh, that? yes. I heard they no, were nice. Full on. <laughs> yeah, Canadians for sure. People that just feel hurt by the decision. And I understand it. Um, people that don't understand my situation, though. People that you know, I'm hoping never have to experience or feel unsafe in their, in their environments at all. But people that aren't me that don't understand. Um, I used to take it very personally. I used to get a really upset yeah, trying to defend myself too. I used to feel like I had to, you know, put on display my actions and why I did what I did and, you know, try and justify coming out and saying something. Um, and at the end of the day, I've, I've now realized, you know, I have to live my life. I have to do what I feel is right for myself and be a leader in the sport and be a leader and empower other athletes and other female athletes to speak their truth to, um, and to not be bullied by people of power, to not be bullied by anybody else, you know, and not put myself in an unsafe environment. And so, um, it's taken a good two years to get to the point where, I feel more empowered by the situation. It's taken removing myself completely from this situation to feel empowered a hundred percent, to feel like I have control over my life now, to feel like I have control over my actions and what I say, and to feel like those have value to somebody else, to know that I'm, I'm right, that I'm confident in my decisions. I second guessed myself a lot for years on, you know, are these the right calls? What am I doing? How should I act? What should I do? How do I say I'm scared of saying or doing anything that's going to elicit a reaction. And so to know now that I can be free, I can be myself. And that what I think is accurate, it does get results, I do know what I'm doing. And that, you know, my skill set and what I've learned as an athlete, and as a female um, are right, and that they're valued and that they're appreciated is is huge. But it took removing an environment. It took being around the right group of people, a hundred percent, um, putting myself around people that understand the situation, but appreciate me for me. Um, and it took starting again and it doesn't happen overnight for sure. Um, but I'm so happy that I'm in the position that I'm in now and that, uh, it didn't, end up breaking me completely and that I have a newfound lease on sport and a career and uh, I'll continue to move forward to the best of my ability. I'm wondering what advice you would give to an athlete who is experienced, has experienced, thinks they're experiencing some kind of abuse and they're, they want to come forward and talk about it publicly. Like what have you, what have you learned through all of this that you would want to tell them before they make that choice? Um, surround yourself with people that love and care for you as a person. I guess I, I underestimated how hard the process was gonna actually be. And not from necessarily making the claim, not from what I felt because I've always felt that it was the right decision, that it was the best thing you know, for me and for other athletes on Team Canada um, and for future females across the board. Um, so I never doubted my decision, but I, I didn't realize that all the name calling, all the backlash, I've pride myself in being a strong 
powerful individual mentally and physically and not caring what other people thought. But when you get it every day, time and time again, the hate and the hurt and the misunderstanding from a lot of people, and you feel like you have to defend yourself and you're, you know, on defense all the time in every aspect of your life, because it does consume you and you lack energy to, you know, get up and make meals or do certain stuff. And then the attacks keep coming. Um, it takes a toll. And if it wasn't for family, friends, for the people that stood by me, that were going to support me, no matter what, that believed in me um, and what I said, and, and they were a part of me going through all of it, that I was going to come out okay either way. Knowing that if you're going to make the claim, do it 100%. Um, be aware that coaches, federations have power. Um, and that, you know, you have to really be ready for just about anything. Um, all the things that could happen did happen. Um, whether it's, they take coaching away, they take training environments away, they turn teammates against you, they, your funding, your sponsorships, any and everything they can use and they do use and hold over athletes, um, in, you know, abusive positions will get used and the fears of what can happen are probably going to come true, but it's going to be the people that you surround yourself with and the powerful people that believe you no matter what are going to be the reason why you come out on the other side, even if it ends your career, which I had to accept that chances are it was going to, and it did, it ended my career in Canada. Um, I knew I was going to be okay. I knew that even if sport was done, I was going to survive this meant I was going to get through it. Life was going to move on. Um, I had a plan for what was going to happen if sport was to end altogether by making the claim, but I also knew I couldn't stay silent. I also knew that I couldn't live with myself and just accept it um, and not try and make a difference. And so if that's a position you feel yourself in, do it. I will stand behind you 100%. And I think far too often, too many athletes are silenced and threatened and put in positions where very vulnerable. All athletes are your hopes and goals and dreams are built around coaches and directors and CEOs um, that make the Olympic teams, you know, whether your teammates, whether you get equipment, whether you get therapy funding, all of that is up to other people. Um, I would like to say performance is enough. I had all the performance in the world and it wasn't enough. So it doesn't matter if you're the best of the best or you're the bottom, it makes no difference. You're susceptible nonetheless verbal, physical, mental, sexual, it doesn't matter. Abuse can happen if you're in the wrong hands. And so if you feel that's the case, don't stay silent, definitely speak up, but more importantly, surround yourself with people that love, cherish, believe in you as a whole. And that regardless of what the outcome is, you know, just kind of be ready for anything. And, uh, the people that you surround yourself with, are gonna, they're going to get you through it. What do you think needs to change within bobsledding or maybe Olympic sport or maybe sport? in general to help mitigate this kind of abuse and maybe even the reaction that you get to reporting this kind of abuse? Um, I think we need a third party investigative agency department, some type of third party accounting. I think um, in certain scenarios, a lot of federations are allowed to police themselves. They're allowed to hold themselves accountable and, you know, well, we're going to do what we think is right. Um, which inevitably just will separate athletes versus coaching staff or the leadership versus which makes athletes in general so vulnerable. Um, and so I think having a third party 
reporting center where athletes can report and be kept safe where although you know they're not you're not allowed to punish but it still happens let me tell you and it can and it will um there needs to be checks and balances there needs to be you know an agency that when an athlete makes a claim they do all the investigations and they can't be you know bought or sold or they don't have any ties to the leadership and i think that'll keep the federation safer as well i think that'll be better for the federation to know that it's not up to them if an athlete makes a claim they don't have to defend themselves or prove it this agency will find the root of the problem it'll find the truth and it will keep everybody in a positive working safe environment coaches will be you know free to act accordingly and that we're all held accountable to our actions and unfortunately you know federations coaches they have stake in the game they get funding they get you know their money from the sponsors in sport canada how the results of the athletes you know that affects that funding partner and their job and then you've got the athletes trying to make the teams and you need somebody that's going to be able to police it all and hold everybody accountable that has no stake in the game at all that doesn't matter it's just about finding the truth and i think when you can get that and you know that agency or that company or whatever it is exists and that there's buy-in that the, all the federations in Canada or the U.S. buy into this agency being a third party having you know no stake in the athletes buy in and they feel safe I think that's how you'll get um, you know a lot more transparency a lot greater communication and I think that will increase the safety um, of the athletes and of the the coaches in the federation to know that um, you know everybody's accountable for for their actions. I really appreciate you talking about all that. I know that that's a shitty thing to have to do that over and over again. It is, but the more that I do it, like realistically, the more that I do it, it, it becomes easier. Okay. Um, hiding, I think is the worst thing. Cause then when a question does come up, it enlists a reaction Yeah. and I don't like the reaction that it, that I get that my body naturally just does in certain scenarios. So the more that I can talk about it, it feels a bit more empowering. Um, and it kind of desensitizes me to what happened being around certain people, you know, just thinking about scenarios, um, which makes me a stronger person. So I didn't even think about this until right now, but like, do you see Todd Hayes when you go to competitions? Oh yeah. That's still part of your sport yeah. is he's there at the top of races. I didn't even think about that. It's until right still now. very much a part of my sport. I see him on track walks in training scenarios. I've been fortunate. They haven't been at any of our hotels, but sometimes Canada and us will stay at the same hotels on tour. So you see him at meals, you see them just hanging out. Wow. I hadn't even considered that as part of your experience with this. Wow. Yeah. So it makes it very, very challenging. It's a, a continuous challenge for sure. Cause it, as much as I've left, uh, it's still very much in my face and it still elicits that response almost every day on tour. Um, and this is where, when I say, you know, you need your people around you. So I've been able to remove myself, my team and my teammates support me in this environment and they know, and you know, they're very much aware of everything. And so they can empower me in times when I don't necessarily feel that way. And you know, their willingness to kind of protect and, and to keep me safe and just know that, you know, we focus on my performance. We focus on, you know, what I'm trying to achieve on the bobsled track that even when, you know, Team Canada or Todd or other people are around, um, you know, I look the other way. I 
focus on my stuff. My teammates will redirect attention when I start to go down a certain direction or path. Um, and so I really have relied on them a lot. And then being able to remove myself completely and knowing that I'm not in that environment anymore and continuously telling myself on a daily basis that that's the case, um, you know, and that self-talk that has helped a lot too. So I don't want to end on, on that. I want to ask you just two more questions. I was wondering what your favorite sport to watch or to do that is not bobsled. My favorite sport to watch. Um, I like watching gymnastics. Oh yeah. I like watching beach volleyball, figure skating and curling and hockey. I know that's uber Canadian. Um, very Canadian of you. Yes. Yes. Um, but at the games, the one of the only, if not the only event that I usually end up going to watch are the women's hockey games. And if I was to do any other sport in the Olympics, it would be rowing. Oh, it would be super okay. cool to do rowing. You got those legs, right? They're like big, yeah. strong, powerful women that, but I tried rowing once and it is way harder than it looks. Oh, I, way harder. I believe that. Uh. I couldn't stay in the boat for longer than one second. So Rowing's not for me. Plus, I'm too short. But I love the sport. It always looks so, it just looks so cool. Yeah, it really does. It's so calming to watch all those people work together. Right? There's like a power and a grace piece all together. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you need to unwind or recover, what kind of things do you enjoy doing? Or maybe, I guess the way to ask this is like, what do you do for <laughs> self-care? Um, I watch a lot of movies. Okay. Uh, I also enjoy... I'm not artistic. Let's start there. But I enjoy art projects. I like coloring in coloring books. Yes. I enjoy doing like macrame or knitting things that are very simple and can be, you know, repetitive, but I get to focus intently on it. Painting pottery, although I usually end up having to trace things on and then just like color within the lines. Uh, but painting pottery and stuff like that, I really, really enjoy too. That's lovely. That tactile kind of repetitive stuff. I understand that. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kaylee. We really appreciate it. Everyone here at Burn It All Down is cheering you on. Good luck in the run-up to 2022 and the Olympics. Thank you very much. Thank you for letting me tell my story too. And uh, I appreciate it.